Hi everybody, I'm Dennis Prager. This is my home. This is my fireplace. This is my cigar. And I come to you just about every week. We call it the Fireside Chat. It's completely non-scripted, which is... I don't know if the word dangerous is right, but it's risky. Because I talk about some pretty sensitive stuff, and I... I have to choose my words carefully the first time, because there's no editing. Anyway, great to be with you. Thank you for being with me. So, uh, a brief recollection of my past week, because only because I think you'll find it of interest, not because I'm aching to talk about my last week. It's, it's just me. But it, I did two interesting things that you might find consequently interesting. I conducted a wedding of dear friends uh, in Seattle. That was that's, and I really like weddings. And the thing that I most like about weddings, well, not most, but one of the things I most like about weddings is when young people are there and see people getting married, because people need models to know how to live, generally speaking. And marriage is not all that popular. It's less popular than it's ever been in American or Western history. That's a total function of secularism, which is another subject. Put that down. I'd like to talk about that, about getting married, and why people don't and why people should. Anyway, it was just nice because when they see the love that surrounds the couple. See, couples who aren't married, certainly many love each other. That would be ridiculous to deny that. But what a wedding gives you is an official celebration for the community to involve itself in your love and to bring two families that never knew one another together. That's not available when people just live together. It's, it's not comparable. It's like, it's, we have to be honest. To say, this is my girlfriend is very different than this is my wife. I mean, let's be honest, right? It just is. Wife is a statement of, of rank even, of, of prestige, of, of, and obviously more than anything, of commitment. My girlfriend, girlfriends come and go. So, well, I mean, obviously people divorce, but it's not, it's not the same thing because the commitment to stay was official. Making something official is a big deal because it's communal, it's public, it's an announcement. So when uh, there were a lot of young people at the wedding, and I was very touched watching them, and I know they were moved. There was no way they couldn't have been moved. These were two, you know, adults in their 50s. And a beautiful couple physically and uh, in every other way. That's why I agreed to officiate at their wedding. And I really enjoyed it. So I, I always have those thoughts at a wedding. And I said something that I would just like to repeat now. People who say... Well, my parents had this terrible divorce, 
or I went through this terrible divorce, so, you know, I'm gun shy, I'm not marrying again, or I'm not marrying to begin with. I always had an answer to that. If your parents had a terrible car crash, would you stop driving? Uh, divorce is a crash. It's a wedding crash, if you will, or a marriage crash. The marriage crashed. So therefore what? Why isn't the analogy to a car crash perfect? People drive after car crashes, even terrible car crashes. So I think that the same thing should hold true with regard to uh, to divorce. Okay, so I'll talk about that another time. Also this week, so I went from here, Southern California, up to Seattle, and then I went from Washington to Washington, from Washington State to Washington, D.C., and I had dinner about two nights ago at the home of the Vice President of the United States. I was invited, my wife and I were invited uh, to have dinner with the Pences at their residence, and there were just the three other uh, people aside from us there, so it was a very intimate dinner. It was a couple of hours. One of the Pence's children was there, who was in her 20s, and she was a very impressive young woman, I might add. And while not every impressive person, is that a statement that they have impressive parents? Just like not every unimpressive person is a statement of unimpressive parents, we still have a sense that if someone is well-mannered, intelligent, curious, kind, healthy, that it may have something to do with the upbringing. <laughs> I don't think that that's a, a remote possibility. Anyway, I just will tell you that uh, it, was a, it was a truly lovely evening. They could not have been nicer they were very real. Uh, to say that the vice president is not an arrogant man, I think even uh, his greatest opponents uh, would acknowledge uh, that uh, this is not a man who uh, radiates arrogance. He's soft-spoken. He's intelligent. And he's grateful uh, to be an American. He's grateful for his wife. He's grateful for his family. And gratitude, as you know, uh, as many of you might know, is the greatest of the traits because it's the mother of both happiness and goodness. You can't be a good person if you're not grateful, and you can't be a happy person if you're not grateful. And he exuded gratitude. He was very complimentary of the president, whom he uh, did not endorse. It's an interesting thing. I did not realize that. He had endorsed Senator Cruz of Texas in the Republican primary and told us that. And so he was quite surprised that he was actually tapped uh, to be uh, the vice presidential running mate of the man he didn't endorse, which I thought was also a credit to uh, Donald Trump. But it's certainly something that uh, surprised him, and he has been a very loyal vice president. And uh, w one of the most interesting things to read when all of this talk about impeachment, impeachment over nothing, it's, just, it's, I've talked to you about the hysteria that pervades our society today. It's the cheapening of the word impeachment, cheapening of the word crime. A, the, if he would have paid $130,000, 
so that a woman not speak about an affair that uh, she said she had with the president. Most men would want, if they had the money, would pay that, even if they were not running for office. They don't want to hurt their family. They don't want to hurt their wife. Uh, they don't. They don't want it known. I, totally understandably, very few people have affairs publicly. They have them privately. But to speak about that as an impeachable offense, uh, it, it's it's just. It means that the only thing that the opposition, or as they terribly call themselves the resistance, which was the name of the anti-Nazi French movement in World War II, to compare being anti this president or anti-Republican with the anti-Nazi resistance is just morally disgraceful. It cheapens the suffering and the heroism of the people in the resistance. When they got caught, they were tortured to death. If you're caught today in the resistance, quote-unquote, to the president, you get to go on television. You get speeches. You get book deals. <laughs> Please. This is, it's a, it's a, the... the the self-celebration of the folks on the left is beyond belief. We are great, we are wonderful, we are moral, and those who oppose us are Nazis. It's a, it's a dangerous way of thinking. It just cheapens Nazism. And so we're cheapening the word of impeachment. Anyway, so uh, there was an article calling for his impeachment in, in the New York Times, either today or yesterday, and I always like reading the comments because that's, that's the people out there. The number of New York Times readers who wrote, uh, we better think twice about impeaching Trump because then we'll get Pence, was fascinating. And why do they fear Mike Pence? Mike Pence doesn't call people bad names like the president does. Mike, Mike Pence is very careful about his language. He, he, and, and, and sexually, the, the man is as, uh, as righteous as a, as a saint. He won't even have... Uh, a meeting or, or or lunch or a dinner with any woman alone. There will be another woman or another man or a group. And uh, he's so what, what do they hate him for? They supposedly hate the president for his sexual past and for his language. Mike Pence has perfect language and, and a perfect uh, past in, in the in the sexual arena. They hate him because he's Christian which is just fascinating, just fascinating. I'm a Jew and I'm telling you it's nonsense. He's a Christian, and this is what bothers them. The man believes in the Bible, the man believes in God. Oh, this drives the folks on the left crazy, because they're so sophisticated, they don't take this God nonsense seriously. They don't need God. They're the first generation in history in the West that is certain they don't need God. They don't need the guidance of the Bible, the most prestigious, the most influential book ever written. No, they don't need any of that. They're so wonderful. They are their own gods. So that was a, uh, it was fascinating to be there and to uh, to be with them. And it was a wonderful night. My, my wife felt exactly as I did that we were with two very, very decent people. So, some thoughts on my dinner with the vice president and his wife in Washington, D.C. To make the, uh, the sublime go to the absurd, I finally did something after literally thousands 
of airplane trips, thousands. I went to the wrong airport. How many of you could say you've done that? Well, I'll bet you very few. There are three major airports in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, the Baltimore Airport, the Reagan National, and the big one, Dulles International. I flew into Reagan from Seattle, and I thought I was flying back from Reagan, but in fact I was flying back to L.A. from Dulles. And it's a very humbling moment when you tell the guy checking in your bags, when he asks, where are you going? And you go, Los Angeles. And he looks you in the eye and says, I'm sorry, there are no United flights from here to Los Angeles. That's when your heart sinks. You realize you will miss your flight and you have gone to the wrong airport. But what's bad news for me was good news for the Uber driver who made a fortune going from Reagan to Dulles. That's the way life works. Your bad news is sometimes somebody else's really good news. So you got to look at the bright side. Anyway, I do look at the bright side. At least we got on a flight that night and didn't have to pay a lot extra. That's it for a changed flight. So it is what it is. You know what? In life, you got to take, you have to realize there will always be some, well, not all, not every day, but there, there, the, life will have a whole series of disappointments. This is not exactly a major one, but it's, it's, it's there. And you just have to know it's part of it. It is like when a baseball player strikes out or pops out or grounds out. Uh, those of you who, who don't know baseball should know that if a person bats 300, meaning less than a third of the time they get up, they, they get a hit, that's regarded as great. You're a great great player. That means two-thirds of the time, great players make out. And that's uh, that's the way life is to a certain extent. You, and we just have to know that. So uh, to my wife's great credit, she didn't stand there going, oh, Dennis, I can't believe you did that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And rolled her eyes for the next hour. I said, you know what? We'll have a long dinner at uh, Dulles. That's uh, one of the many reasons I love her. I I love calm. So it's sort of like, I love calm, my wife is calm, I love my wife. <laughs> it's not the only reason, but it's a biggie. You know what I don't like? I, I will fully acknowledge it. I can't stand drama queens or drama kings. You've heard the term drama queen? It's somebody, often but hardly always a woman, who just thrives on drama the way in which biological life thrives on oxygen. Uh, and I, I, don't, I never understood these people, nor is it fun to be with them. There's always something dramatic that they, they and they create this drama. And uh, I, I don't like it. That's why I don't like the left. They're, they're drama queens. It's the earth is coming to an end because of carbon emissions. The uh, We're Nazis uh, because we uh, want uh, uh, to protect our border. 
we're haters. We're racists if we think that colleges should have the same standards of admission for, for every group because it's demeaning to blacks, in my opinion. That's my major reason against it. I think it demeans blacks to say, we're going to lower the, the uh, criteria for your admission. Why is that not an insult? So uh, I, I, don't like, I don't like drama queens, drama kings, drama queens in public life. I don't like it in private life. Life has enough issues for us to not uh, scream and shout and get hysterical. What was the last hysterical uh, conservative march, by the way? Any conservatives shut down any bridges or tunnels or highways in your area? How come it's only the left that does that? Isn't that a fair question? I think it's a fair question. Conservatives have as much passion about their positions, but uh, they don't jump on cars and they don't smash windows and they don't close highways. Ever. And don't tell me about uh, white supremacists. They have nothing to do with conservatism. Nothing. We hate them. Is that clear? Good. Was that clear, gentlemen? My, um, I have a little crew here that uh, helps make this possible. I'm not, after all, I'm not videoing myself. <laughs> And uh, this is bare bones. It's just two two guys now. We usually have three or four. So when I look at somebody, I am really looking at a human being to verify. So the question is, should I go to, I think I should go to questions then. Because I, 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 that was a good couple of minutes there, some thoughts. See, I didn't even know what I would talk about at the beginning. And I purposely do that because I want it to be as spontaneous as possible. I might, I might think of it five minutes before, but... But that's it. I just like to share with you, uh, because a lot of you may have know of my work or Prager University's work, and this is just a way to be as truly real as possible with you. Now, most important, I just have to take a puff here. See, it's very real. You might hear the dogs in the background. When the dogs bark, this is my theory. The dogs bark uh, for any number of reasons, none of which we ever know. <laughs> One might be an ant walked by. Uh, you never know. Another is my wife showed up. Oh, by the way, this is a very humbling thing. It happens every time. Every time. There's no exception. My wife and I will come through the front door, and we have three dogs, and the dogs will just jump up and down and bark and wag their tails and go to my wife. They will actually walk around me to get to her. I am essentially... I, would, I was going to say chopped liver, but I realized if I were chopped liver, they would like me because that would be yummy. So I'm not even chopped liver. I am basically a, a Pole, not as in a person from Poland, but a, a Pole, a, a, a steel rod that happens to be next to my wife. And it's, it's, it's actually funny to watch how, I mean, I'm nice to them. Don't, it's not like I kick them. But uh, they have a sense that she loves them more than I do. And I know that sounds, does that sound terrible? I really like them. I even have love for them. I do, I do. I have to say that. But she loves them. I love them. She loves them. Is there a difference? And they know it. You see, that's the problem. I think they know it. So the question is, when I walk in without her, what happens? 
And the answer is nothing. That's really humbling. It is like air came into the house when the door opened. There was no difference between air and me. And I, and I pet them, and I say silly things to them, but it, it doesn't seem to work. All right, just thought I'd share that. Life is, by the way, life to a very large extent is sort of a continually humbling experience. <laughs> it is. That's why you're far more likely to be arrogant at 15 than at 50. I think, because arrogant at 50 is really frightening. Anyway, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. Uh, I'll tell you what else is humbling. Getting married and having children. I'll, I'll tell you one great children's story. So, one minute, one minute, one minute. Okay. So I used to go on Bill Maher's show, Politically Incorrect, uh, on, on a pretty frequent basis. Then he went to Friday night, and I don't broadcast on Friday nights for religious reasons because it's my Sabbath. So that that ended that. And But I was on when he was on a regular TV, not on cable TV. I was on pretty often. So one night I went to uh, Politically Incorrect, and my son, my older son, I would say was, I would say about 10, 10 11 years old. So I said, you, you want to come with me? Because uh, I, I always underplayed my public life. I didn't want uh, my, my being public to, to affect anything in the house. I played it down. But I, I wasn't going to deny it. I said, you want to you come with me? Uh, you know, I'm going on this TV show. Eh, thanks, Dad. No thanks. Okay, didn't come. I come back home. And I remember saying, so... Uh, it's my older son, David. I said, uh, Dave, I'm just curious. Uh, did you ever hear of this rapper, Coolio? He goes, Coolio? Why do you ask? And he said, well, because he was on the show. Coolio? You met Coolio? And he's going crazy. I'm, again, back to chopped liver. That is that, but Coolio. And then he regretted not going. Uh, see, that's what I mean. It's it's like it's it's all humbling. It's good. I have, I'm not complaining. I didn't say humiliating. I said humbling. But it's true. If you have kids, that's the way it works. And same thing uh, when you get married. Not not that you should ever be put down. Contempt is a guaranteed ruined marriage. But still, in all, you're you're fully human, and should be to your spouse. Okie doke. Questions. All right. Here we go. Victor, 16. Um, let's see. I didn't take... It sounds familiar, but I guess I didn't. So, Victor, 16 years old, upstate New York. Uh, you should give the city. It's a poor people in upstate New York. It's like an inferiority complex vis-a-vis -vis New York City. You have cities. They're legit cities. Buffalo, Syracuse. They're for real. Utica, I mean, what's the best way for a teenager to be a gentleman and a man of God in today's society? The best way for a uh, an adult to be, doesn't matter if you're a teenager or not, act it. Everything is action. If you act like a gentleman, then you're a gentleman. That's the, now, I, I you probably have something specific in mind that I'm not aware of, uh, but, uh, and, and a man of God, 
Well, the problem, religion is, is uh, it's a very complex issue. Religion has, in some ways, made a lot of these terms uh, difficult for people to really uh, take too seriously, or they take it too seriously. A man of God, and they think of some monk, you know, and especially an asexual human being who just prays all day and the like. That's A man of God is not that. A man of God is someone who simply wants to do what God wants, which is be good. Live by the Ten Commandments, for example. I make this all very clear in the biggest project of my life, my five-volume commentary on the first five books of the Bible. I beg you to read it, not to make me rich. Nobody writes Bible commentaries to get rich, but I beg you to read it because I think it'll change your life. It's called the Rational Bible. If you read one religious thing, I hope that's it. And the first volume is out uh, on the book of Exodus, which explains the Ten Commandments, among other things. All right, now this is a very long one. Bob in Long Island. We don't know how old Bob is. By the way, on Long Island. Hi, Dennis. In spite of America's improving prospects, I recently saw Antifa protesters calling for President Trump's demise. That's true. They call for they call for his demise. This sentiment, although not as extreme, can be seen on most media outlets as well. Correct. What is the unifying force of groupthink which causes a person to suppress their morals? Of course, they don't think they're suppressing their morals. They're convinced that they are wonderful. By the way, everybody who does bad thinks they're wonderful. That's why we can't be the judges of how wonderful we are. There has to be a standard higher than us. There is no group that has done evil in history that didn't think they were good. Not one. So, that's a big problem. What's the unifying force of groupthink? That they, uh, they are... The, the unifying force is I don't have to challenge myself. Why do you think people on the left don't, uh, don't watch or read or listen to anything from the right? They just don't. There's no comparison. People on the right are exposed to people on the left from kindergarten through college, television, movies, the arts. It's just constant but not the other way around. They don't watch us, they don't read us, they don't listen to us. That way they never have to challenge themselves. Groupthink is, I never have to challenge myself. I'm part of a group, and all outside thought is, uh, is unwelcome. And that's the reason why uh, conservatives are, are labeled rather than answered. Six herb, sexist, intolerant, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, racist, bigoted. Conservatives don't have one-word dismissals of people on the left, other than wrong. But we do read them, we listen to them, that's how we know they're wrong. I've challenged my, I challenge myself every day. I read the New York Times every day. I very frequently uh, listen or watch CNN. Listen to or watch. And, and, and many, many, many others. At the expense of others, why would one want to forego good outcomes for bad ones? Oh, that's simple, because there are a lot of people who love ideas more than people. People who want to raise the minimum wage love the idea of raising the minimum wage. 
minimum wage. Whether or not it actually helps people is not their issue. That is a summary of most left-wing positions. They feel good, like single-payer health care. If that happened in America, if we nationalized health care in the United States within a generation, the average American will live less long, less well, less healthfully. Many reasons, not least of which is, because there is so much health in private hands, America comes up with far more medical uh, devices and medical breakthroughs than any other country, probably all the other countries put together. Because there's profit in it, not because they're more wonderful. Because if they develop something for cancer, let's say, they'll make a lot of money. That's great. That's the beauty of capitalism. You get rewarded for doing something good. You get rewarded for doing something bad, too. Look at MTV. But still in all, it's usually for something good. People buy it. All right. This is a biggie. Madison, 19, Seattle. I like Seattle. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Mmm, my favorite ice cream flavor? Well, I really eat very little sugar. So I've had to forego a lot of ice cream. But if I didn't have to forego it, I think all things being equal, not that it matters, by the way, my taste buds are no more sophisticated than anybody else's. So it's an interesting question, but it, it has no importance. See, if you'd ask me, my favorite books, that might be important because you respect my mind and want to know what I have read that has been influential in my life. But my favorite ice cream, it may be fun to find out, but is of no significance because I don't know ice cream like I know books. Even if you did, it wouldn't matter. It's still totally individual. But I like pistachio ice cream. I like vanilla fudge. Uh, and I like almost everything in ice cream, now that I think of it. Okay. Joey, 20, Cleveland. Is it important to travel the world to learn about new cultures? You're talking to a man who has been, who's traveled outside of the United States every year since I was 20 years old. Even when I had almost no money, that was a priority. It is, I think it's unbelievably important to do so. What I have learned from 130 countries is incalculable. So, yes, I'm a big, big fan of that and also learning other languages as I have. Ironically, uh, the more I've traveled, the more I've appreciated the United States. I've also appreciated other, almost every other place. Absolutely. And I love meeting new people and new cultures. I love it. But... Uh, it has actually made me appreciate this free country with its unique level of opportunity and affluence. Affluence is, a, is, a, is not a bad word. It's a, it's a good word because it's the opposite of poverty. If poverty is bad, affluence is good. <laughs> I think that that makes sense. Okay. Mike, 15, Massachusetts, are you concerned that China may soon become the world's largest economy? Uh, it is a concern, 
because it, it's, 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 it's not a free country. I want free countries to thrive. So, uh, and there's a lot of, lot of corruption in China. But I'm not concerned for, because I am old enough to remember the 1990s and 80s when everybody was talking about how Japan's economy will overtake the United States. There was nothing like a free country and a free economy to prosper. So uh, unless America becomes socialist, which apparently a serious percentage of young people believe is not a dirty word, it is a dirty word. If you love people, you don't love socialism. If you love theories, you love socialism. Look at Venezuela. So the freer the economy, the more prosperous it is. Joshua 19, Logan, Utah, Prager Force. Thank you for being in Prager Force. Would you consider yourself a globalist or a nationalist and why? Uh, I'm, I'm both. I'm a nationalist because it's a beautiful thing for people to have a national identity. There's good nationalism and bad nationalism, just like there's good globalism and bad globalism. The, everything, every ism is a good and a bad. There's good religion and bad religion. Uh, it's, it's, it's the way it is. People could screw up every, uh, every good uh, idea there is. But uh, I am not a globalist first. I, I, I'm a nationalist, and I want that to be true for people in France and people in Uruguay and people in Japan. I want them to love and identify with their countries. It's a good thing. Hitler made it disgusting because he made it racial. That's why. Now, who today celebrates races, left or right? I won't tell you because I think you know the answer. All right, I'll end. Uh, I think, I think, I think, I think we're up to about time. What? How much time have we done? Yeah, I have a good uh, a clock in my brain. Stu, 35, Dallas, Texas. Do you think that the U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War was justified? Why or why not? Uh, the answer is, uh, is simple, actually. I'll answer with a question, and then, of course, I'll answer you. Was the U.S., what's the word you used? Involvement. In the Korean War justified? Now, if you say no, that means that it would have been better, more moral, by justified, I assume you mean morally justified, what, would it have been moral to let all the uh, Koreans live under uh, the Kim family? Starting with Kim Il-sung, then Kim Jong-il, then Kim Jong-un. The, the most, uh, one of the most barbaric regimes in the history of the world, the most totalitarian, totalitarian regime in the history of the world. The United States lost 37,000, <coughs> excuse me, soldiers, 37,000, I choke up when I think of it, to keep at least half of Korea free, the southern half called South Korea. Had we not fought in Korea, and many other nations joined us, but America had by far the biggest losses, then all of Korea would have been communist and people would have died in the millions, starved in the millions, and they would have been enslaved as they are to this day. It is a nation of slaves. 
And, and not only are their bodies enslaved, so are their minds. They're not allowed to think, speak, write, anything that they believe. So why was fighting communism on that peninsula, why was that good and moral, but not in Vietnam? No one has ever answered that question for me. It was almost an exact replica. The South wanted to be free. The North wanted to take over the South and impose evil. We died in bigger numbers there. 55,000 Americans died to try to keep it free. It was a tragedy for the Vietnamese that America left because of pressure from the left in the United States. Okay, everybody. Oh, I'll answer this one. Nona, 28, Washington, D.C. What is your favorite country to travel to in terms of food? There is no close second. That one I am emphatic about, India. Indian food is so delicious in India. Sometimes it's okay, it's okay in, in, uh, in America. I can't speak for Indian restaurants everywhere. But it, there's no comparison. Indian food in India is so delicious that I would be a vegetarian in India. It would be that easy. That's how delicious it is. So on that one, I, I have a very clear response. Okay, guys. I always enjoy doing this. I hope you enjoy it. Tell your friends about it. Watch Prager University videos. It's fundraising month for Prager University. Please help us out. We are putting out very sophisticated, beautiful five-minute videos which touch people's lives. So until next week, from my home to yours, thanks for watching. I'm Dennis Prager.